about self-acceptance. I thought that I had a great deal of self-acceptance and that I accepted that I sucked. Welcome to episode 36 of The Recovery Show. We are trying a new format this episode and recording live. We are planning to try out this format a few times, so if you've missed the opportunity to listen and interact live this episode, you will have more opportunities to do so in the future. This episode is brought to you by a loyal listener in Oregon. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, loyal listener in Oregon, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today, we're going to talk about self-esteem and self-acceptance. Do you often judge yourself? Do you internalize the criticism of others? Are you afraid they're right? Are you unable to like yourself? Then this episode is for you. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During the show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of self-acceptance and self-esteem. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swetha, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. How are you today, Spencer? A little tired, but happy to be here. Good. Next to Spencer is special guest host Erica. How are you, Erica? I'm fine, thank you. Great. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, self-acceptance and self-esteem. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. So I'd like to start this episode with a reading from our book, Courage to Change. And this is the reading for March 20th. It says, one of the topics in our fourth step guide, the blueprint for progress, is self-worth. As I walk through this, worked through this step, taking a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself, I found that I have always judged my value on the basis of my accomplishments or on what other people said about me. This meant that I had to work all the time or constantly make myself the center of attention. At best, my sense of satisfaction was fleeting. With step four, I realized that part of my self-worth can be based on my ability to love other people. Saying a kind word, writing a considerate note, or just taking time out from my other thoughts to appreciate another human being enriches my entire day. I have the power to feel good about myself, regardless of my achievements, whether or not other people validate my worthiness. So as I said, my name is Swetha, and let's talk about self-acceptance and self-esteem. So these are pretty <laughs> broad terms for me. What is... Let's start with let's start with you, Spencer. What does self acceptance and slash or self esteem mean to you, and how are they different? Right. Okay. I see uh, self acceptance as I've come to to understand it really means that I can take myself as I am, and uh, and you know not feel that even though I have flaws that I'm unworthy that I'm broken, that I need to be fixed. Hmm. This is a very hard task. This is a very hard task that to, to accept myself just as I am. And, and one of the things that, that helps me there is to know that my higher power accepts me as I am. Hmm. 
And so I can try to model that. Of course, I'm not God, so eh, takes a, it, it's not perfect. It's never perfect, and that's okay. Self-esteem. Self-esteem for me is a little different because it's not so much about just taking myself as I am, but it's about feeling good about myself. It's feeling that I have worth, that I have value, that there are are things that maybe that other people value me for, although they were getting into the, uh, you know, letting other people uh, control how I think about myself and how I feel about myself thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I got right now. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds pretty spot on. How do you feel about it, Erica? How do you define those two terms, and uh, where's the line between the two for you? I the the term self acceptance self esteem self worth all of those different self love all mm. of those different words that begin with self <laughs> or concepts they all sort of blend together um i you know i've been thrown those words have been thrown at me since girl scouts and, mm. <laughs> in like second grade and right. i don't know if i ever really understood what they were i i think as a younger person in this world, I understood them to mean liking myself and loving myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no concept of how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have a concept of how to do that until I, until adulthood, until the last couple of years. Um, self, self acceptance is, um, I've come to understand it as meaning being okay with where I'm at today, mm-hmm. um, recognizing where I've made progress and then maybe where I could continue to make progress when the time is right. Mm-hmm. You know, that also involves utilizing my higher power and, and having faith that those opportunities will come when they're meant to come and that I'll make progress when I'm meant to make it as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a person. Mm-hmm. And then self self-worth i think or self-esteem i think i I, those two i think are interchangeable for me that being comfortable with myself being Mm -hmm. being able to be alone in a room with myself and not (laughs) feel antsy uh yeah being comfortable with my own company liking the person that i'm i am Mm -hmm. looking in the mirror you know is this you know this sort of proverbial uh, metaphor that we, uh, you know, you hear everybody use looking in the mirror and, and be able to say, I like you. I like that person that I see staring back at me. And, you know, um, for some reason, I always had this false, this false I- idea that I had a great amount of self-worth. Mm. Um, but I was still uncomfortable and anxious and unhappy all the time. So, you know, I think that the the definition has changed for me um, in a spiritual sense um, since coming to the program. Oh, well, I definitely resonate with that. A lot of the stuff you said, actually, um, especially about thinking you had a, a, a lot of self-worth before you came to the program. Um, I kind of thought that about about self-acceptance. I thought that I had a great deal of self-acceptance and that I accepted that I sucked. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and that I was clear on 
on who I who I was and how messed up I was and how if anybody really knew me, they wouldn't want to be around me. And I, I accepted that about myself. So I was totally all on board with self-acceptance, right? Um, but I think after I came into the program, um, that definition changed a lot for me. It became more about... I think before the program, or even during my first few days in the program, and or months, year, even now, uh, I'm so quick to judge things that I do or say as good or bad. This is so bad that I did that, or how could I do those things, or thank God I did this because it makes me a better. It means I'm a better person than this other person. You know, the judgment. There's just a lot of judgment as good or bad, and I think for me, self acceptance is more about just saying, I did this, I realized it doesn't work for me. I did this again just to make sure, <laughs> and a third time, <laughs> because I'm really big on making certain, because <laughs> I'm a scientist, you got to repeat that experiment. And it's not necessarily like it, that it makes me a bad or good person. It's more that it's, it's just something that happened, and it's something that just isn't working for me, no matter how many times I repeat it. And when I'm able to accept myself and, and really just accept myself and not judge that, not judge myself with along with that acceptance and just see myself as human as opposed to, well, there's this stuff about me that's sick and messed up and this stuff about me that's healthy and okay. As opposed to that, just seeing my, seeing these things as this is who I am. This stuff sometimes works for me and sometimes doesn't. This stuff definitely doesn't work for me and I keep doing it. And this stuff feels good and it's all equal. It's just, it, for me, I think it's more, I'm trying to see it more as this is, this color is red, this color is blue, this color is yellow, they're all colors, it's all fine. I just, I would like these to all to be yellow at some point, and it doesn't mean it's better or worse. And because otherwise, I think there's a lot of self-deprecation. So when I am self-accepting, I think that leads to more self-esteem, kind of like you were mentioning, Erica, self-esteem, self-worth, and really just being okay with sitting still with myself as opposed to when I'm alone in a room, I think, I need to do this and this and this and this. I need to clean my apartment. Then I need to go out and do some research. And then I need to win the Nobel Prize or else no <laughs> one will love me and I will die alone. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. I can just I can just be and being is okay. Um Actually, uh, Erica, I heard you talk a little bit about what life was like in regards to these specific topics of self-acceptance and self-esteem before you came into the program. Do you want? Could you elaborate a little bit more on how it was and how it is now? Well, it's not. It was not. It is not. It has not been a complete 180. But <laughs> there have been definitely been improvements. Um, my coping mechanism that I learned to combat that, those, you know, what I now understand to be those messages that said that I wasn't good enough, mm -hmm. um, the messages that said that, you know, eh, you're, you're never going to do this completely right. Mm -hmm. So I, I had coping magnums to sort of deal with that, and one of them was to compare myself to everybody else mm -hmm. and judge what my behavior against others and whether or not it was good or bad. And I felt real good when I could find somebody who was more of a screw up <laughs> than I was uh, at something. Cause then I could, I could use what I judge their, you know, character to be to make myself feel better. Now 
I, looking back, I know that that wasn't healthy for me and it wasn't healthy for my relationships, but that's what I did as a way to avoid the pain of having to, like you said, sit with myself as who I am. And then the other coping mechanism I'd say I did was the perfectionism. Yeah. Definitely. Um, thinking that everything I had to do, um, the things that I thought were really important, I had to do perfect. (laughs) So like my friendship relationships, I would obsess over my relationships a lot Mm. and make sure that they were perfect or that I, I did everything I could to be a perfect friend or a perfect student or whatever it was that was important to me at the time. Yeah. So, and you know, that was, that brought a lot more pain that, that coping mechanism in itself brought way more pain. So it wasn't working for me. And, um, thankfully I walked into an Al Anon meeting and found out that there was another way to go about all of that. So that was me before. I really like what you were mentioning there a second ago, that if it was things were really important to you, you'd be a perfectionist about it. Mm -hmm. I was not like that. I was an equal opportunity perfectionist. (laughs) I was a perfectionist about all the things. Yeah. What about, um, what about you, Spencer? Well, you know, before I comment, let's listen to the voicemail from our friend, Anne. Hi, everybody. This is Anne from Atlanta, although I'm calling you from North Carolina this week, um, calling in on the topic of self-acceptance and self-esteem. You know, I've spent a lot of time over the last uh, year, year and a half, thinking about um, self-esteem and self-acceptance. I went through a rough time with some employment. I lost some jobs. Um, and I found it really, really difficult to accept um, the mistakes that I made, even though they were very small mistakes. I found a really hard time um, accepting myself. But what I've discovered is that self-acceptance means that accepting I'm human and that I'm a human with flaws and that all the flaws I have are the ones I'm meant to have in order to learn the lessons that I'm meant to learn. Um, And it's from that place of self-acceptance where I can accept that I made some mistakes because I'm human and that my bosses made some mistakes because they're human. Um, that's where I've been able to rebuild my self-esteem. So for me, self-acceptance came first, and then self-esteem came next. You know, I've heard the idea that ego, E-G-O, stands for edging out God, and that when we're full of ego, we're not in a spiritual place. So I know that I'm in a good place with my self-esteem, that the high self-esteem I have, comes from a spiritual place, comes from understanding the lessons that I'm, I'm meant to learn in this journey, um, and not necessarily that my e- that my my self-esteem comes from an external place, from the material world, from from praise from other people. All those things really can help. That's where we have to really be careful with ego, um, and watching watching ego take over the place of the healthy self-esteem. So when I'm trying to balance that positive self-esteem and and making sure that I'm not tipping over into the world of ego, I really do try to reconnect with my higher power, make sure that the good feelings I'm having about myself come from within and come from a spiritual place. Um, now, does it help when other people back up that good spiritual feeling? Absolutely. We all love and need praise, and we all need people around us who adore us, but who adore us for who we are and who accept us as humans in the same way we accept ourselves as humans. 
Um, I love this topic, guys. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Sorry I can't be there with you live, but I'm thrilled to have called in tonight. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Anne. Wow, that was good. Yeah. She always is. (laughs) (laughs) I really like what how she touched upon the ego and the balance between ego and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that she related it, you know, to things that ha- were happening in her life mm-hmm. uh, that uh, really, I think, damaged her her feeling of acceptance and and esteem, and and that you know what she did to uh, to find her way back and uh, to understand that yeah, you know, we're human, and that that we sometimes we screw up, and that's part of being human and whether it's us or somebody else um and uh you know i i actually i spent 26 hours in a car this weekend mm-hmm. uh, driving and i took a lot of podcasts and a friend loaned me the night before i left a friend loaned me a book on cd called radical self-acceptance Ooh. And I thought, well, obviously I was meant to have this. This is my higher power working for me here, you know. One of the things that that she talked about was that we so much look at our outsides, we look at our, our actions and our surface thoughts, and we think that's who we are. And this is why, maybe why we, we scramble to be perfect, to to make that outside look really good. And she said, you know, it's like, we're there are waves on top of the ocean and we think that we are those waves we think we are those things that are happening those things we're doing she said but really we're the ocean and i don't know it just it it made me think about what am i inside what is my core you know as opposed to what are the ways that that I interact with other people, that I try to, that I try to do what, you know, I think people want me to do. I don't know. I, I still have to think about that a bit, but it, it, it just, when she said that, I was like, Oh, wow. Um, you know, and pardon the pun here, but that it's really deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was that, were you talking about when you say she, you're talking about the person the, the, and the, the a, person uh, on the, on the tape. Yeah. Or on the CD and, uh, the author, I guess. Um, right. It wasn't clear to me because they kept talking about these talks. Mm. Like, but he said it was a book, so I don't know. <laughs> um, I haven't looked it up to see if it's actually a book. Yeah. So, um, that just made me think of that when you were talking about the waves and the you know judging ourselves or others by the outside things or others. Yeah. It's mm. that. Well, I compared myself to others, and so I, I only had the outside of that person, and that's that whole idea that we that. Saying we have an Al-Anon, comparing my my insides to other people's outsides, mm-hmm. um, you know that's that was a big that is a habit that I'm working at to till this to this day, just not comparing what I feel about my life and myself to what I think other people have and what I think other people are experiencing because I don't know what's true for them necessarily. Mm-hmm. All I can do is. Uh, focus on what's true for me at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. 
And I was thinking as you were talking, Erica, about the principles of the 12-step programs that they work with one person sharing their experience with another person or with a whole room full of other people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as it it might be in a meeting, and how we're encouraged to identify rather than compare, to find the points of similarity in our stories rather than the differences. And I have heard so many people say, yeah, my family looked really good on the outside, but inside it was chaos. It was, it was a mess. And I think the more that I hear that, the less guilty, shameful I feel about the way we were, and to some extent the way we are. Our household is not nearly as chaotic as it was when there was active alcoholism in it, but it's not, you know, House Beautiful, it's not Martha Stewart. <laughs> we we had a, a party recently, I talked about this on a, on a show a couple weeks ago, and it was like, we're going to have a party, oh my God, you know, because all the piles of stuff, and and, you know, and we had three days or something, so it was just like sort of continuous scramble, but to make it look good, right? And a lot of those, I mean, some of the stuff like went away to where it was supposed to live, but a lot of it doesn't really have a place it's supposed to live. So a room with the door shut got more piles in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, there's my inside. All right. <laughs> wow. I, um, I really, yeah, I liked what she was saying, what Anne let me specify what Anne was saying about how ego is edging God out. Um, I, I think, I think that idea that she was pushing at that, that we judge ourselves by our accomplishments and things like that. I think growing up, there was so much, uh, stuff going on in my life that just didn't feel right that I would look at other people's outsides and be like, well, why can't everything in my life be like that? And that was just, and there was a lot of stuff going on. With, that was something I think I was encouraged to do when I was younger. Uh, you know, don't air your dirty laundry. Uh, no one should know what's going on with us. Everything has to look good because that was what was important. It could be that the most traumatic thing was going on right then, but God help you if anyone found out about it, you know. And so immediately, whatever it looked like was what became the most important thing to me. And so I think I started judging myself by those standards. Um, like, for example, I recently applied for something, uh, well, recently, like a year ago. And, uh, and I just, I thought I pinned all of my hopes and dreams to that one thing. And, uh, right after I, right after I applied, I started working the program. Thank God. And, uh, I didn't get it. And I thought I would be devastated. But, um, there was something that one of my, my friends in the program mentioned uh, it was what where is God in this she, that's something that she mentioned that she asks a lot when she's feeling fear or anger or frustration where is God in this and I didn't somehow through a miracle I, I in that moment I didn't sit there thinking I didn't get it my life is over um, and then go back to that place where I don't win the Nobel Prize and die alone and instead I somehow went to that place where I was like, well, where's God in this? Am I going to be okay? And then realizing that I was going to be okay, even though I didn't get it, 
was uh, so relieving. It was much more relief than I would have felt if I had received that, um, the thing that I was hoping for. And I, when I judge myself by those standards, not judge, when I see where I'm at based on those standards, based on the spiritual standards that Anne was talking about, it feels way, way better. And uh, I don't remember if Anne mentioned this or we were talking, or Spencer, you were talking about this, about uh, egomania or being ego, uh, I guess, ego versus self-esteem. I think I was always scared also to have self-esteem because I was like, if I get self-esteem, I'm going to get real cocky and then I'm going to forget how messed up I really am. And then I'm going to slip when it comes to putting on this facade. So I can't ever think I'm better than I am. In fact, if I could just take it down a couple of notches so that I can be totally in hyper awareness of how much I need to put up this, uh, this mask that, um, so, I mean, that was, that was clearly, that was very exhausting. I didn't realize how exhausting it was until I stopped. And once I stopped, I took a really long nap. <laughs> and, uh, and even now when I, I don't know how I did it. I mean, look, now I, I, I think about it like my mind goes there to where I want to put on the mask and pretend everything's okay and nobody, nobody needs to know. And then I think, oh, it's going to take so much time and energy <laughs> and I don't really feel like it. Um, what about, what about you guys? How do you, have you ever had that fear? Like that fear that if you have self-esteem, you're just going to take it to like the total opposite end of the spectrum from no self-esteem to insane egomaniac. That's where I went. That's where I was afraid that I would get too cocky and no. So I I haven't had that fear. I've actually been tricking myself for all these years into thinking I had no ego whatsoever and that I was this altruistic human being. But really, no, you know, I came to this program and because I was miserable, being made miserable, making myself miserable Mm -hmm. by trying to control the people, places and things in my life Mm -hmm. um, by thinking that I had the right answer for all the people around me. Mm -hmm. And I was mad that they weren't listening. (laughs) Why are you not listening to the answers that I'm giving you about your life? You know, (laughs) come on. And that's I mean, saying it out loud. I finally heard other people say it out loud. I related very much to that, and then I realized how self-centered and egotistical it sounds to, and it, how 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 much it is actually mm-hmm. is to think that I have the right answers for everybody else in their lives and my loved ones, and um, you know it's the model that I got growing up. Um, everybody's sort of pushing their own agenda in my family, um, you know, my immediate and extended family. Everybody's pushing their agenda and what they think should be happening all the time, and. You either learned to join that fight and fight for what you wanted or just completely fade into the background. So, yeah, <laughs> other members of my family faded. I was definitely, I, I put on my sword and armor. I was ready to fight for <laughs> my own agenda and what yeah. I thought should be happening. And so there's never a fear because I don't think I was even aware of how egotistical I was. Maybe I was one of those people that you saw and was fearful of <laughs> becoming. I don't know. <laughs> I think you and I would have been a, quite a match before program because I would have been sitting there going, Erica, why aren't the things you're telling me fixing my life? Tell me more. And I will do all the things you say <laughs> and I will fix my life because you I would have, have gladly right told you. I would have gladly told you everything to do. <laughs> oh, man. Great friends before the program. <laughs> 3 a.m. Erica, I'm not done with my homework. What should I do? What snack should I eat to keep myself awake? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. 
That's That's so funny. (laughs) Spencer, did you have any thoughts on that? I don't think I I was tending towards, you know, egomania. I did tend towards self-centeredness. But I was a self-negating, self-centered person. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something they say in AA, and I can't remember it right now, about about being self-centered and thinking they're shit. Um, except it's a little more elegant than that. <laughs> <laughs> Was it in the big book? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know. It might be. It's just something I've heard. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'll remember after we're done. <laughs> oh, that's what they say. Yes. <laughs> um, I was thinking, I had a lot of time to think this weekend. Mm. A little bit dangerous at times. Mm. Going into that bad neighborhood. That's why I had all this recovery stuff with me. So. I tried, it, it really, I mean, it did a pretty good job of keeping me out of the bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary purpose for this, the trip this weekend, I was taking my son to grad school, which sounds like, hey, a happy occasion. You know, mm-hmm. he's going off to grad school, woo. Except for he made this particular decision about how he's going to live, which does not involve having an apartment or living with somebody. It involves having a tent and a sleeping bag and, and living out in the woods somewhere. And as you might imagine, um, his mother and I were not really wild about this plan. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, I used my program very heavily in saying what I felt and working really hard, and I think mostly successfully, to not criticize him to not tell him he was a a dumb something because he seemed pretty dedicated to wanting to do this. And uh, so in part driving him there was, I felt in the nature of amends for not approving of of what he was planning to do. A little weird, but you know, I, I felt like there was, there was probably some harm there and that I could show that even though I didn't approve or agree mm. with what he was doing, I could still support him in, in a way that he wasn't able to, to support himself. He doesn't drive. He doesn't have a car. You know, so I left him there Saturday morning. Uh, we, we pulled up to the curb on, on the campus of the University of Connecticut, and he unloaded his backpack and his bike and his panniers, and I gave him a hug, and... And then I drove away, with neither of us knowing where he was going to sleep that night. Yeah. (laughs) Erica's eyes go (laughs) wide open. I got a few more years, I think. I couldn't (laughs) Before I could let something like that go. I couldn't do that, you know. Um, Well, it was was both hard and easy. Mm. It was really hard to let go. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I could sort of wash my hands of it. Say, well, it's it's on you now, and I'm done. So later that day, I was listening to this uh, CD on self-acceptance, and she related an experience she had with her son where he was doing something that she wanted him to stop, and but she, she paused. So I used that pause. You know, we talk about our pause button. Mm-hmm. And she sat with her feelings, like, why am I not liking that he's doing this? What is this about? And 
she came to an understanding that she was afraid that and I think he was playing video game and maybe she thought he ought to be studying. He, she was afraid that, that, you know, he would fail in life if all he did was play video games. And, and what was underneath that was maybe some shame that, that if he failed, it would reflect on her as a mother. Mm-hmm. And, and as each of these feelings came up, she accepted it. This is the feeling that I'm having. You know, what is this about? And then she got to the point where she could start to think about, well, what, you know, what is he feeling? What are his fears? What are his needs? What are his desires? And as I was listening to this, I realized that by sitting in my fears about my son's behavior, about his choices, that I never gave him room to express the fears that he might have about this. Um, so another fucking growth opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's exactly what the reading was about. The reading talked about doing the fourth step mm. of the, of ourselves. And then the answer in that reading was compassion mm-hmm. toward, for the other people involved. So really, that's a really good example. Yeah. Which is in, in a sense, it's acceptance and maybe not self-acceptance, but it's acceptance that they are who they are. Yeah. Um, but talking about, you know, accepting these, there's a, there's a poem by Rumi that I'm going to have to look up and, uh, and then I'll come back to the thought. So <laughs> what you were saying just now, Spencer resonated a lot with me. Actually, someone I love very, very, very much is, uh, having some health problems, um, some serious health problems. And, um, this person is getting help from one specialist that's uh that keeps giving this person um some really bleak uh options mm. <laughs> with uh you know those treatments where they're like well we could do this for you but most likely here are your side effects which are possibly as bad if not worse than what you already have we were talking and i found out about two other specialists in the area um at the request of another loved one that's involved and uh, there was hesitancy to go see these other two specialists because um, these people that I care about were afraid that someone they know might see them and that they would gossip that they were ill. And they didn't want anyone to gossip. So they weren't going to go to see these specialists. For a second, uh, let, okay, let's be honest, for a few, at least a few minutes, I was, I had a period of like, wanting to yell into the phone, what the fuck? <laughs> what the f- where are your fucking priorities, you know? Thanks to the program, I shut up <laughs> and did not say that. And I instead said, okay, you may be right. I have to go walk my dog now for a very long time. <laughs> so I'll call you when I get back or I'll call you later. And I walked my dog and I, I just had some time to just sit with, kind of like you were mentioning, Spencer, sit with those feelings. And then um, once I sat with those feelings and did the did that fourth step, I realized that I wasn't really scared about I was I wasn't scared that this person was going to die or something like that would happen. It was more that I was afraid 
that they were going to be in pain and then I was going to be in pain for it out of as a result and I could it's something that I could con- I could control <laughs> right Erica kind of like you were mentioning something that I could have fixed I have the answer why won't you just fucking listen <laughs> and um and the second I realized that I was able to let go and able to realize that it's way 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 out of my hula hoop if for no other reason than that they're thousands of miles away and even if I wanted to I couldn't force them <laughs> to go to see the people that I wanted to see them to see and again it was super relieving and I think it's kind of instead of um kind of a play on what we were saying earlier that we compare our insides to other people's outsides I feel like um that I project my insides onto other people's outsides so if I'm able to take that moment to do the fourth step and then be self-accepting and give it up to God, I'm then able to be accepting of whoever's choices and then give them up to my higher power and then just say, whatever happens, happens, and um, I'll be taken care of. Whether my loved one is in pain, whether my loved one, God forbid, anything really happens to this person, um, Whatever happens, it's all going to be okay. It's I'm going to be okay, even if I'm not in control. They're going to be okay, and it all it feels like it all just sort of comes from from being self accepting. Because if I can't be accepting of myself, I have no basis or foundation of being accepting of other people. I think I think we call that middle finger detachment, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were mentioning those things, Spencer. Actually, one other thing I I was thinking about when you were mentioning self-centeredness is that I thought the people in my life that were uh, egomaniacs and always thought they had, like, they knew the right thing and would yell and scream and fight and sometimes get aggressive if I didn't listen to them. I thought they were super self-centered. But um, me with my insanely crazy low self-esteem and occasionally incredible ego as well. I was just as self-centered in both uh, ends of that spectrum because like I was mentioning, Erica, I would call you at 3 a.m. and ask you what snack to eat because it's all about me at 3 a.m. and you don't need to sleep. (laughs) You need to be telling me what to eat at 3 a.m. And that's really self-centered of me also. And I was um, was just thinking how easy it is for me to judge other people when I'm not right with myself. Yeah. Something that I just, it keeps popping up into my head when I think about it. I had a friend in the program and we were at one point having a lot of conversations about self-love. We called it self-love. I like that word a lot because I think it's powerful and I think it's important. And we were at a loss. We were like, what? I don't know what the answer is. Like, what is the answer to self-love? And we had all these little things. We would write these affirmations. We talked about the affirmations we wrote to ourselves in the morning gratitude lists, you know, all of these different things that were like something you could easily put on your to-do list and it would magically fix the lack of self-love that I had (laughs) for myself. And it was, it was interesting to look back and think about where I was at that time. I was right in the middle of my fourth step. I was getting honest about a lot of my motives and the patterns, um, that I've had over the years of, how I felt about myself, how I related to other people. And after I finished the fourth step and went on to the following steps, I started making better decisions. And I remembered a couple decisions distinctly 
remembering like I made the good choice for myself in this situation, even though it was hard because I really wanted to do the codependent thing. I really wanted Mm -hmm. to give one of my loved ones money. Um, I really, really wanted to, but I knew that the better choice for me um, would have been to not. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. And I felt really good about my decision. And that was a moment where I'm like, this kind of helps my self-love. Being able to see in the moment that there's a choice and then recognizing something as my choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I chose not to do something or I chose to do something. And Mm -hmm. then when I when I think through my choices and I take the time to do what you are describing, Swetha, I make a better decision usually. If I take my time, I put, you know, press the pause button, Mm -hmm. as we've been saying. And I feel better about my reactions, my actions and my attitudes. I feel better. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, those moments over and over again, the more they happen, the more I see them, that is what has been lately building a lot of self-esteem and self-love for myself. And then being able to look at a choice and going, hmm, that probably is not the, I wouldn't make that same choice again going forward Mm -hmm. and being able to honestly look at it instead of beat myself up, you know, and, and really obsess over everything that happened in a situation. I could just let it go. Right. It feels good. So I found this poem. It's called The Guest House. Mm -hmm. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And, you know, that's that to me expresses the power of self-acceptance, the power of accepting whatever it is that's going on in me, uh, of accepting that I'm angry, of accepting that I'm sad, of accepting that I'm really, really frustrated or anxious. Because, for one thing, when I name it, it loses some power. When I can say, oh, this is why I'm just not here today, because I'm anxious about something. Mm-hmm. If I can say that, if I can recognize that, then I can start to accept it. If I don't name it, I can't accept it. If I'm just feeling somehow off, I can't accept that. I need, you know, but when, when I can put a name to it and then I can accept it and I can, you know, sort of let go of it and, and maybe as, as, as happened, um, in the story with the, uh, the woman and her son, uh, maybe I can see then something that's beyond it. And, I've been having a lot of practice recently uh, accepting some of my character defects that a, a friend of mine triggers just by being the person that they are. You know, this is a friendship that I value a lot. And I think back in, you know, back before I came to Al Anon, I would have said, well, I really like this person. I really like their company. So I will put up with you know, their foibles, their flaws, their, you know, that they're not acting the way I want them to, Hmm. to put it 
bluntly. <laughs> <laughs> and now when I when I can recognize what's happening and, and that that took some work in itself, but now I can recognize that, you know, this is me and this is the way I'm reacting to who they are, to the way that they act in the world. And it's not a matter of, of putting up with, you know, it's a matter of of accepting that and of looking at myself and saying, well, you know, here comes another growth opportunity for me. Uh, no swear words in them. This time. You know, <laughs> that I can be, I can be grateful. Mm. As Rumi says, be grateful for whatever comes because it has been sent as a guide. A guide for me to learn a new way of acting as my higher power removes from me this defect. That, uh, and, and one of you was talking about this, you know, acceptance of, of ourselves and that I see as the basis of the word humbly in the, in the seventh step where we ask God to remove our defects of character. Uh, because that has been my experience that as I can come to really accept a particular shortcoming, to own it. I have to own it first. This is hard. I can't just say, oh, here's this thing. Here's this wart on my soul. <laughs> and I want it to be gone. And it's just a wart. Blah. Uh, you know, I have to say, this is me. This is who I am now. And I would like to be different. So please take it. Please take it and, and you know, I was talking to a, a sponsee last night uh, who's on step six and worrying about, well, you know, what if what if when my character defects go away, they also take away some of my assets? Hmm. Um, and so we spent some time looking at the assets that were hidden inside the defects. And and I reflected on the, the seven-step prayer from the big book that says in part, it says, take from me those shortcomings that get in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. And, and I say, you know, so you've got these assets that are of use and you've got these defects that are getting in the way of, of being of use. And, you know, you just need to trust that the stuff that gets in the way is going to go and the stuff that is of use is not going to go. And because that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, when you were talking, Swetha, about your, your loved one who's ill, um, and you had uh, sent me an email about that uh, at, before I set out on my, my trek this, this last weekend, the other thing that I did this weekend was I visited my parents, and, who are old, elderly, and my mother's health has been declining visibly over the last year. And I have a lot of fear over that. So when I read your story, I thought, oh, this is about me and the relationship with my mother and, and about um, how I have to you know, let go of what's happening to her. I realized later it was really about my relationship with my son and, and the fact that he wasn't doing what I thought he should be doing. Hmm. Um, so I saw my parents and, and uh, you know, I was able to have a, a good visit without the anxiety that I thought I was going to have seeing her. And she is visibly weaker. Mm. Uh, and, you know, yeah, there's fear there. And, and I can 
I can, and, and there's sort of a pre-echo of grief that I know I'm going to lose her. Um, and, and to some extent, you know, I'm losing the person she was um, because her mind's not as sharp as it used to be either. But if I focus, if I focus on pushing away those negative feelings, pushing away seeing her dying because I don't want to see it, not accepting that feeling, saying, no, 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 you're not there, go away. I also shut out, you know, any pleasure and joy that I might have got. But when I can, when I can accept it and, and welcome it in, then I can, you know, start to move past it and, and enjoy the moments that we do have. Um, enjoy the very pleasant dinner we had together sitting out on a porch in the gentle evening breeze. And, you know, it's a gift. It's a gift that, that I get from being able to accept my feelings that I have them rather than spending all my time fighting them. Right. Um, I really I think it's important to point out, kind of like what you were saying, Erica, that it's, it's hard to make these choices. It's hard to let go of those fears that about, I mean, we live so much, we, at least for me, I've lived, I live so much in what's going on around me. Like I can see you and I can see Spencer and I can see that these are, these are my pets. And this is what I want from my life. This is my job. Um, I want my boss to do this. And I can see that and interact with that. And I've spent so much of my life living outside of myself that, um, the 11th step, which is uh, uh, essentially prayer and meditation, uh, it was such a hard step for me to stop like living out here because I, I remember thinking, but if I close my eyes for an hour, I'm going to miss all this other stuff. So <laughs> I'm going to have so much catching up to do. That letting go of all of these standards that I've grown up with and how I judge myself and moving more inward or focusing more inwardly, not self-centered, but focusing inwardly on what I need to be happy um, spiritually was terrifying. It's terrifying. It continues to be terrifying. I'm always, there's always my ego sitting on one shoulder going, but what if you're wrong and you totally screw up your life and then you'll never be able to bring it back because you just spent a year in your recovery program doing all this crazy hippie shit and now you've ruined your life. And nothing ever is going to work again. Yeah, that's happened in my head, Spencer. I saw you laugh there. And, it's happened in mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not alone. And I think that part of it is that um, that I'm afraid. I mean, when I first heard, I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, but when I first heard that we don't give each other advice, I was like, well, what do you people talk about? <laughs> like, what do you, what else is a conversation? I really could not wrap my head around it. I was like, what else is there to do other than sit there and tell the other person what's going on? And the other t- person tells you how you fucked up and how you can do it better. Like, what else do you talk about? Mm-hmm. And I was, I was stumped for a while. And similarly, when I heard about feeling content and at peace with whatever you have, I was like, so you never grow, you never change, you never try to get a promotion? Are you just going to sit there in the same job every day for the rest of your life and nothing ever changes? And I I just kind of wanted to touch on that because that was definitely something that my, my that's a place my head went to very quickly. How can you be self-accepting and content with yourself and have good self-esteem and still want to 
quote unquote improve? I mean, how, want to change your life, want to do different things. Why wouldn't you just, you know, just sit there like bump on a log in that chair drinking a Coke forever? <laughs> That's called, I think, complacency. Where's, well, mm-hmm. good you know? point. Where's the difference? What's the line? Where's the difference? For you guys, I'm not answering this question first. It's too hard. <laughs> my the the longer I've worked my program, mm-hmm. and as the you know my higher power has sort of um, slowly been chipping away, I've been at you know my character defects, and I've had opportunities to use better actions and and better responses to mm-hmm. th- to situations. I think. My tolerance for my own bullshit goes down. <laughs> like I used to tolerate a, just like it does with other people. Mm. You know, I, I tolerated a lot of things, unacceptable behavior, mm-hmm. um, from the addicts and alcoholics in my life for years, um, before coming into the program. And I also tolerated a lot of my own bad behavior. And the more I focus on the solution and then when I go to meetings and I hear the solution and I hear, where other people are who have a lot of recovery and the way they're able to live their lives, I have that message of hope. As long as I continue working towards that, my tolerance for my own bad behavior goes down. Like I cannot tolerate the negative self-talk the way I used to be able to tolerate Mm it. So, So one thought, one example of it is my body issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had, body issues for a long time. I think a lot of people do and can relate to that. And um, the negative self-talk used to be you're you're overweight and you're never going to be thin and you're never going to be pretty and you're never blah, 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 blah. (sighs) Now it's, you know, that sort of, I've, that's defect or that, you know, message in my head has kind of gone away. But there's little, you know, softer ones that maybe aren't so positive, like, hmm you probably shouldn't have eaten that cookie at Panera before the podcast taping today. Or (laughs) you probably should have worked out today and things like those shoulds. You know, I should have done this or I should do that tomorrow. I haven't been good. I'll say that. I haven't been very good lately (laughs) in terms of, you know, self-care or whatever. And um, Preach it, Erica. I used that would have been a fine thing to say to myself three years ago, um, compared to the other things I told myself. But now, my tolerance for those negative um, attitudes Mm -hmm. has it's gone. It goes down and down and down. I think the better we get, I think the more we. I guess what's great about the program to me is that there's this opportunity to fine tune yourself because there's always going to be things that pop up. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be, my sponsor always talks about how there's always defects that are sort of popping up that surprise her about that she didn't really, wasn't really aware of. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's how the program sort of, if, if you go to meetings and if you listen, for me, mm-hmm. you know, if I go to meetings, if I listen, if I'm willing to work the steps and willing to trust in a higher power, that sort of happens on its own. Yeah. As long as I'm working it. <laughs> <laughs> it works if you work it, yes, right? Yes, it does. And you're worth it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, so, so I was thinking as you were talking about, oh, I came into the program and I thought, oh, I'm going to waste my life doing this hippie crap. And Yeah. Uh, I did think hippie and, crap too because I'm and, super judgmental. I would. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the thought that was in my head was, well, you just weren't desperate enough when you came in because I had none of that thought. <laughs> I was like, please. <laughs> 
Course, I'll do but, any yeah. hippie crap you tell I'll, me. I'll, I'll, I will do whatever <laughs> if, if, if I can feel better, you know. Right. Um, so, as you as you guys were talking about, you know, sort of the difference between um, self acceptance and complacency, or or just you know giving mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about acceptance mm-hmm. and how acceptance can feel like giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be saying, well, these are the things that I can change. These are the things that I can't change. And so it gives me an opportunity to focus my energy where it might actually do something. Mm. Um, you know, so if I accept that I'm 20 pounds overweight and... My blood pressure is creeping up, and I'm getting old. Mm-hmm. Twelve years, I'll be seventy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Twelve years. Yeah, that's so close, Spencer. It's like tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Scary thought. Now, um, so these are things. Uh-huh. These are things that are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can decide to focus on something and I might focus on maybe bringing, bringing my blood pressure down mm-hmm. uh, by doing some good cardio exercise and you know maybe as a side effect of that um, I'll lose some weight mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not I don't have to sit there telling myself I'm fat all the time I mean I'm not fat okay I'm just <laughs> overweight and yeah. uh, have a belly whatever that's why I wear these loose shirts, you know that. <laughs> wow, the things you find out Honesty. <sighs> that Honesty you didn't want to know, probably. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's I, my favorite example about acceptance is is um, you know accepting that hey, it's raining outside, uh, and there is nothing. Yeah, you can probably hear the rain now on the uh, on the on the podcast here. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about the fact that it's raining outside. Um, there's in fact nothing I can do about the fact that you can hear the rain, um, you know, and, and behind my voice, and, and hopefully it's a, a pleasant sound for you. Um, and uh, a little scary over here for us, because <laughs> you can see it. I got my back to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I can't change it. I could I could spend a lot of time trying to keep the rain from coming down, and it's never going to work. Uh, or if I have to go out, I can say, well, I've got an umbrella. Mm-hmm. I've got a raincoat, and I can use those um, rather than cursing the rain. Right. I um, I really liked what you guys had to say. It reminded, it helped me think of the fact, uh, the idea of, I don't know if you said this word specifically, Erica, but um, the, the phrase, my path, uh, which is something that I feel I've resonated more and more with, with all that hippie shit <laughs> in the program. Um, it seems like as time has gone on, I've had certain ambitions in my life growing up. I mean, literally, like, from way, way, way when I was young, I always thought I was going to be a doctor when I grow up, and that has to be what it has to be, and I don't want to do anything else. And um, as time has gone on, it just has become that that's, that's not what I want to do, and there are things that I do want to do. And so the difference for me between self-acceptance and complacency is that one of them is, I feel like, rooted in awareness. And just so we're clear, that's self-acceptance. And uh, being 
accepting not only of my, uh, well, flaws, the things that aren't working for me anymore, but also of the things that make me happy and the things that I enjoy. And when I'm able to be aware of those things, I'm motivated to move towards those things. So it feels... Oh, that's very good. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so come, come hell or, well, or high water, which apparently both are coming down outside right now, <laughs> um, I, I feel like my higher power is... All the things that are going, it feels like all the things that are going on in my life, all the scary things, happy things, sad things, all of it is kind of put in my way to move me towards this ultimate happiness that my higher power wants me to have. It kind of reminds me of this um, this game I downloaded on my phone where you're supposed to guide this creature to the to the end goal, but you do it by putting roadblocks in its way so it turns left or turns right. And sometimes it's positive things, like um, you'll put food in front of it and it kind of comes towards the food. And sometimes you just drop like a rock or an anvil in front of it and then it moves away from the anvil. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm God's iPhone game or anything, Hmm. but it's it kind of feels like that for me sometimes that that there is an end goal. And if I'm paying, I mean, if I'm paying attention to what's going on, if I'm paying attention to what. Oh, my God. Sorry, guys. Really <laughs> crazy weather outside. <laughs> wow. I think um, we're maybe getting some hail or something, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, if I pay attention, I, I sitting still isn't what my higher power wants for me. And being able to be accepting of that also uh, helps me to, to not be complacent. Um, yeah. And with that, we're going to finish up with today's the quote from today's reminder. It says, let me look for appropriate opportunities to share my love with the people around me. In this way, I celebrate one of my most positive traits without expecting anything in return. Paying someone a compliment that comes from the heart or thanking them sincerely for their kindness may be the nicest thing I can do for myself today. The quote is, it is difficult to make a man miserable while he feels worthy of himself and claims kindred to the great God who made him, Abraham Lincoln. After a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Erica? Oh, um, so the first song we're going to be playing for you um, is by Missy Higgins, and it's titled Where I Stood. This song, um, sort of the darker side of self-esteem, and um, the songwriter talks about uh, post uh, relationship feelings of not knowing who she is without the person that she's been with, um, sort of dictating who she is. And I'll, I just real I resonated with the sort of feeling like another person defined who I was, a person I was with defined who I was, those exterior things. And, and who I, who am I without, um, so-and-so as a best friend or who am I without so-and-so as a partner I don't know what I've done or if I like what I've begun but something told me to run and honey you know me it's all there was sounds my head a little voice is whispering that I should go 
this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Spencer, do you want to start us off? Sure. Well, you know, I, I already talked about using my program to uh, help me with the, uh, the difficult situations I was in this weekend. Thursday, I, I left on Friday morning um, to drive 750 miles to Connecticut, and and I didn't want to do that whole trip in two days, so um, left on Friday. So th- Thursday night, I was feeling like I need a meeting. I was feeling like, wow, I've got all this anxiety and 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 stress, and and I don't normally go to meetings on Thursday. I didn't really have a good idea if there were, were any meetings on Thursday in, in the area. So I went online and I looked, and, and sure enough, there was there were a couple of meetings, uh, one of which I had been to and didn't really enjoy many years ago, and who knows, maybe it's better now, and another that I had never been to. And so I sent out a quick email to a bunch of people in the program and said, hey, have any of you been to this meeting? What can, what can you tell me about it? And one friend responded, yeah, he says, it's a good meeting. I'm going there tonight. And, uh, and a couple other people responded as well. And so I went, and so it's a step study meeting, and the uh, the step of the week was step two, and I was kind of disappointed because I was like, well, you know, I'm feeling powerless over these things. I really want to do step one, but I'm powerless. Mm-hmm. Turns out step two was exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny how that works out, huh? I spent most of the meeting sort of, not exactly meditating, but sitting there in a sort of meditative state of mind, um, just hearing what people were saying and breathing. You know, breathe in peace, breathe out stress, or however that goes. Mm. And yeah, and I thought about and and what I shared about was the thing that I had heard at a, an open talk a few weeks ago where the speaker said, you know, he said, I divide up the steps like this. Step one is the problem. Step two is the answer. Step two is the solution. My higher power is the solution. And steps three through 12 are how I get to the solution. And so for that hour, I was sitting in the solution, which was, you know, to be in contact with my higher power, to let my higher power guide me and support me in in what was going to, you know, what I, I felt was going to be a, a very stressful weekend. And it, you know, and it wasn't a very stressful weekend. I mean, there, certainly there were points in it that I was not happy that I was experiencing. But overall, um, you know, I didn't come home a wreck. Um, I didn't come home with my back hurting, which is a miracle. From the driving? From driving for 1,600 miles. And, uh, you know, and and so that meeting, that meeting on Thursday was exactly what I needed to to hear. Yeah, I think that's what I've got. What about you, Erica? Um, I've been on a break, if you will, between semesters. Um, I have a clinical practicum that I have to complete for uh, my master's program and I have been uh, done with my first one since the end of July. Um, I really struggle when I don't 
have a routine um, when I don't have a when I, there's any change in my routine. That's when I usually fall back a little bit in the steps um, in my step work. So I'm working through trying to take care of myself throughout the change and throughout um, sort of a brief period in between two sort of rigorous internships and just fear. Mm-hmm. I've been dealing with a lot of fear, um, fear of the future, fear of, the, I mean, my next semester is my last semester of graduate school, and after that I have to actually find a job, and um, a lot of old old character defects are coming back. Um, I really just would like to avoid all of the things I have to do altogether. I don't want to do any of the job searching stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to do the things I have to do because there's a fear of doing them wrong, of failing, of not getting the outcome that I want. So these are all things that I think come up over and over again for me. Um, And there are things that I can use the, like the first and second step with very much. So like accepting the fact that I made the choice to go to school and I made the choice to get this master's degree and just recognizing that I had a part in all of this, everything that's come to this day and, and, you know, looking at what I have and looking at what I want and what makes me happy, like you were talking about earlier, Swetha, and just being able to navigate, you know, what the next step is, what's the next right thing to do. Um, And so that motto, the do the next right thing, has been really important for me because I feel like, feel a little bit of unmanageability between now and and when my next internship starts. And I Mm. just, you know, it's all of those old behaviors start creeping up if I don't um, take go to meetings and, you know, have contact with people in the program and do, you know, meet with my sponsor, meet with sponsees, do all, do the work. Um, so that's where I've been recently in recovery. Hmm. I haven't gone to any meetings this week, actually. These, um, I'm working on... I'm working on finishing up writing a paper that we're going to submit to a journal. And that has been such a lesson in self-care for me because I, though my PI is a very intelligent man, um, he's also a very demanding man. <laughs> and uh, last minute he will just be like, oh, you know what, why don't you just go ahead and process this ridiculous amount of data and get me the results and analyze it and we'll put it into, and we'll put it into your paper. Oh, your paper's due in two days? Oh, it's okay. You can do it. You'll be fine. You have a full-time job on top of this. That's okay. You can do it. You'll be fine. And uh, that's been... In the past, I would have been like, why, yes, I can do it. I'll just stay up late all night tonight, and I can go into work with no sleep, and it'll all be fine. And uh, instead, I, it's, it's been really good for me because I've, um, I've been able to set boundaries. Whereas in the past, I would just be like, if I don't do this, then he's not going to want to work with me anymore. And then I'm not going to be able to publish a paper and Nobel prize death. We went over that earlier. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that setting boundaries, I, the really nice thing I feel like about recovery really is that there is never a time when I don't have the opportunity for growth. Like an, I have the, so much trouble, not just setting boundaries, but also holding myself accountable for the and holding other people accountable uh once i set those boundaries 
and and they make a commitment to honor them as soon as i they're like oh yeah i'll do it then i then i end up doing it for them um for example if i um ask someone to call me 24 hours in advance to confirm something i'll call them just in case they don't call me mm-hmm. i won't ever hold them to the boundary that they that i ask them that i ask of them and uh same with I mean, same with my PI. I'll say, no, I don't think I can finish this, and then I'll stay up really late and do it anyway. Um, but this has been a really great opportunity for me to to set those boundaries, to be good about self-care. And it requires, I think, a lot of self-esteem and self-acceptance to be able to say, I can't work all night tonight. I need to go to sleep. Uh, otherwise, I won't be able to work well at my job tomorrow. And uh, And then be okay with that as opposed to being what I would have done is just been completely consumed with fear that I would be fired from my job and I wouldn't have this research to work with, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and I, I mentioned about my loved one and their health problems. And um, I think that's... Oh, oh, and I've been having an issue with a close... Um, someone that I, that I interact with a lot. Uh, and uh, I guess colleague? I, I don't know. And... Um, there have been a lot of vi- boundary violations there, and uh, it's given me an opportunity. <laughs> I think in, I was in the beginning. I was doing. I was feeling kind of victimized, and why me? And why does this have to happen to me? But I think that this has given me an opportunity for compassion for for the other person. But also, one of my friends reminded me that it's an opportunity for compassion for myself. And with compassion, I think comes that self acceptance that we were talking about earlier today. And uh, hopefully. Next week, I will have gone to a lot more meetings to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, our topic next week will be juggling versus balancing. Uh, we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Do you sometimes feel like you're trying to keep too many balls in the air at once? Do you hear people talk about a balanced life and wonder what they mean? Do you struggle with too much to do and not enough time to do it all? Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about juggling versus balance. Spencer, how can people send us feedback? Hey, you can call. You could call right now. Leave us a voicemail, as Anne did, at 734-707-8795. Just, uh, you know, pause the podcast if you're feeling inspired and call us, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer or your uh, smartphone. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com, We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of self-acceptance and self-esteem, or next week's topic of juggling versus balance. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Erica, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, Spencer, they can go to our website, therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, which I highly recommend, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of open talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. You can leave comments on the blog. You can leave music suggestions that have to do with topics or recovery in general. You can hop on over to recoveryshow.com and read through all the different ways to contribute to the blog. We'd love to hear what you have to say. 
So we have some voicemails and emails uh, this week, but first let's listen to Anthem by Super Trick. Uh, I really like this song because it talks about people from different, well, more girls, girls from different backgrounds and how you're awesome no matter what. So it's really just upbeat and I feel like a huge self-esteem boosting song for me. So here's Anthem by Super Trick. have a few emails uh, to start. Ruth sent a topic suggestion. She writes, hello, it would be great if we could have a kind of roundtable format for Alateens. It would be helpful to hear their opinions. What made them go and what prevented them from going to Alateen meetings? What made them curious to go the first time? Do they get their information best via social media or at school? Should we as adults only support them? What do they most appreciate in this regard? Thanks for your comment, Ruth. We really appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, I thought about this a little bit. And, I mean, I have, uh, there's a very clear concern about, you know, anonymity and, and privacy rights for underage. Um, but I thought we could probably um, ask some people who were in Alatine yeah. about what their experience was like at that point. And, right. and that would be, I think, a really interesting uh, roundtable to have. All right. Well, and then Nell wrote, a, wrote in about last week's Step 8 episode. It says, Dear all, I am so appreciative of how much attention you gave my thoughts in Step 8 podcast last week. It was especially helpful when Spencer gave his own direct and specific experience with his children and the other 15-year-olds in your life. It was moving to me to think of an experience for my children and the other growing people in my life that is so different and expanded from my own struggled, painful youth. And it's so hopeful to think that someone could hone healthy tools at age 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 instead of beginning that mission at age 51. I have come to realize that the fear I feel about doing something different is fear of the unknown and unfamiliar. And I see that I have super imagination about what might go wrong. But I also see that the more I practice courage and face my ingrown fears, even when it is as small as a comment to my child, the more I get comfortable with the unfamiliar. Thank you so much for the service you are doing by creating this podcast of real experience. It is so helpful to me. And that's from Nell R. And there's a little P.S. Lou Reed's Pale Blue Eyes is one of my favorites, even though it's super sad. Yeah, Thank we, you, Nell. 
We played that at the end of last week's episode. You should go listen oh. to it. Uh, Brian um, sent us, wow, I mean, I'm going to blush reading this, I think. <laughs> Brian said, Spencer, and, and he meant this for all of you. He says, not a day goes by that I don't listen to your podcasts. There is something very unique about the chemistry that exists between you, Kelly, and Swetha. I think it's similar to the Seinfeld TV shows together when you had all the characters. It just works. Mm-hmm. My story, like you explained once you were in the program for a while, is the same story that all of us share. It's just like Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and we are mere players trying to play our roles. My wife and I have been attending the local Al-Anon meeting every Tuesday night without fail since January. We have only missed two meetings. The really special thing that you guys are doing is connecting with the rest of us to something good with technology. Technology is a terrible beauty, and it is indeed a rare circumstance that we see it used for something authentically good and true. Please forward this on to the rest of the team. I really got a kick out of your picture of the studio. Something so modest can move people all over the world towards something greater than they could ever imagine. Thank you, Brian. And wow. Seinfeld. Never been compared to Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm the only person in the world that hasn't watched that show. Now I have to. Brian, I have to say, you know, Kelly's not here, but she got a real kick out of the Seinfeld comment. (laughs) So uh, uh, iTunes ratings and reviews help us to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review, and then your identity won't be shown. And we did get two new reviews. You want to read the first one, Swetha? Sure. Um, The first one is, thank you. It's a five-star review by listener. Um, And this person states, I listen to you all at work. Thank you for your honesty and dedication to doing this podcast. I get a lot out of it. Erica, do you want to do the next one? The next rating says, um, great recovery resource. And it's five stars by a grateful member. This is a great recovery resource for anyone dealing with a family member or friend who is dealing with addiction. The people who facilitate these podcasts have a great grounding in recovery slash Al-Anon slash Nar-Anon programs. The podcasts have been and continue to be an important resource in my recovery. Thank um, you very much. Yeah, thanks to both of you uh, for helping us uh, to, to stay visible because question? we are here for you. As a quick confession, I'm so glad we're still at five stars because one of these days we're going to get like a four star and I'm going to be like, why? <laughs> Where is that last star? Why did this happen? Uh, oh, man. I'm going to keep coming be back, bad though. For your huh? <laughs> I'm going to keep coming back in anticipation of that day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, as we mentioned before, we are recording this episode live. This is the second episode during which we have tried this format. And, and this time we didn't get anybody in the chat room, but. We'll keep doing it uh, because it really was a lot of fun last time when we had somebody in the chat room. And we'd like your feedback. Uh, we will post the dates and times for live episodes on our website in advance, which I didn't, I, I got it up there like late last night, so not much in advance, sorry. Uh, however, if you would like email notifications, you can send us an email and we'll add you to the list. A few months ago, we did a parents roundtable episode in which we had parents of alcoholics and addicts come to the show and discuss their experience, strength, and hope. Because of the great reception of this episode, we are going to be doing a sibling roundtable recording on August 25th for siblings of alcoholics and addicts. This will not be a live episode, but we would love your input, questions, and feedback. Please send in your thoughts and questions or your experience over email or voicemail for our sibling roundtable before August 25th, 2013, (laughs) in case you're listening in the distant future. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, Mark over at recoveredcast.com, I understand we kind of 
blur that and it took somebody a while to figure out what we were saying so that they could go find Recovered. Um, there is a link to Recovered on our website under um, other podcasts we like or something to that effect. Anyway, he did a 12-hour marathon podcast as a fundraiser for a local recovery center back in June, and he just posted the last hour of that onto his podcast along with his regular episodes. Uh, and if you haven't gone over to Recovered, you know, there's a lot of strong recovery there. And the sharings in the 12-hour podcast um, brought me to tears at times. They really did. So go check that out. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $30 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like our loyal, loyal listener in Oregon. Uh, we also put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thanks for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. Thanks. And I forgot to mention that I did finally post a new open talk yeah. on the website today. It's a very good one. Uh, this is one that was recommended by one of our listeners. The title is, What Does God Look Like? And I was surprised at his answer for a moment. And then I thought, oh, that is absolutely true. So the audio quality is not excellent, but the talk is. So go listen to it. And we're going to close the show with a song, Who I Am, by Jessica Andrews. And man, this whole song for me is just full of self-acceptance uh, the first verse uh, says, If I live to be a hundred and never see the seven wonders, that'll be all right. If I don't make it to the big leagues, if I never win a Grammy, I'm going to be just fine. Because I know exactly who I am. If I live to be a hundred and never see the seven wonders, that'll be all right. If I don't make it to the big leagues, if I never win a Grammy, I'm gonna be just fine. Cause I know exactly who Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems are, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow on you one day at a time. And then I'll just where I stand. It's all a part of No.